Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been recently playing. And contributing on this episode are... Board on the Air of Dyson Men. All You Can Board. Board and Game with Andrew Buchholz. Dyson Dragons. Matthew Legault of Scorpio Masque. Friday Night Games. Definitely a board game podcast. Metal Maples and Beer. And Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes for links to all the content of the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. Have fun exploring all these great content creators, eh? Hey there, Chad from Of Dyson Men here, and my apologies, it's been a while. I didn't mean to miss so many great What You've Been Playing Wednesday episodes, but I'm glad that so many other great content creators are able to step up, so no one really missed that much. In any case, I'm back now and ready to talk about the newest entry to the Root board game family, the Marauder expansion. Root itself is an asymmetric war game featuring very cute animal meeples and artwork, but don't let that fool you. The game is a heavy ecosystem of combat and control. In the game, you'll find yourself controlling one of the several factions available, and whether you play the Marquis Ducat or the Erie Dynasty, you'll have a thematic faction-specific goal in mind to help you achieve the victory condition of being the first to get 30 victory points. The game achieves its asymmetry by having each faction get a specific twist to a core set of rules, and coupling that with the army's specific abilities of your selected animals, each player will have a unique experience that you can lean on when it comes to replayability. This variability in player powers also makes Root one of my favorite games, granting it the design ability to match theme with mechanics. The Marquis, being the recently invading force of the woodland, gets their points by setting up shops, so to speak whereas the Eerie Dynasty seeks to reclaim their rule after being recently vanquished, but insists upon sticking to tradition and royal decree, and all of these things come through in the mechanics of the factions. Some of the potential downside of this asymmetry emerges as a sort of delicate balance between the factions. Some teams require others to be in play to keep them in check or to provide much-needed interaction that they might depend on. The Woodland Alliance, as an example, can't really get off the ground if there aren't a lot of troops in play. Because of this, Leader Games has released a pretty reliable list of recommended factions that anyone other than the most experimental of gamers should stick to in order to ensure everyone gets an even experience at the table. Recent expansions have added even more replayability past the base game's four factions and two maps. The Clockwork expansion has added well-defined bots you can use to fill seats in your games, and the Riverfolk expansion introduces two new factions into the mix, the Religious Lizard Cult and the Entrepreneurial Riverfolk Company. The Underworld expansion adds another two new factions, as well as some new maps. The Corvic Conspiracy, which uses lies and trickery to infiltrate the ranks of other players, and the moles of the underground duchy that can pop up anywhere in play and claim the ground that they've lived underneath for so long. And we haven't even started talking about the new expansion yet. Leader Games, as they usually do while running a Kickstarter, has given their backers the opportunity to try before we pledge, 
and I've got a few games in of the two new factions being introduced, the first being the Lord of the Hundreds, and the second, the Keepers in Iron. The Lord of the Hundreds represents a warlord and his band of rebellious warriors traipsing through the woodland concerned only with leaving behind a wake of destruction. The faction-specific way of gathering points for the Lord of the Hundreds has to do with ruling otherwise empty clearings. For each ruled clearing with no enemy pieces, they can score up to four points per turn. In addition, the Warlord themselves has a mood card that gives them a special ability each round, with the caveat that they can't use the same card twice in a row. The other unique aspect of the Lord of the Hundreds is their command points. The number of actions they can do is related to the items that they've built or scavenged from others. I really like this aspect, as we haven't really seen another faction care about items in this way since the Vagabond in the base game. The Lord of the Hundreds gets a matching ability to complement their fascination with items. When attacking, they can choose to loot an item from another faction instead of destroying an enemy's pieces. An extra ability of the Warlord allows them to incite a mob at the end of their turn, which, if it lives the round, will automatically raise any enemy buildings and tokens at the start of their next turn, and spread in a random direction. These mobs can get out of control quickly, and keeping them down is key. Mobs can also raise runes, giving the hidden item to the Lord of the Hundreds, and the Warlord Pawn can consume them to even greater effect in battle. The Lord of the Hundreds do have some weak points, however. First off, they need items to get any sort of momentum, and secondly, the Warlord Pawn on the map is kind of a central focus of their power. If you can manage to take out the Warlord, not only do you prevent a few more troops from spawning next round, but you can also disable any round-specific power they may have. In addition, their victory point condition generally has them spread out quite thin, so it's easy to reclaim a few clearings and slow them down as long as you manage to stay on top of things. For balance reasons, I'd say that the Lord of the Hundreds needs to be paired with a faction that has a lot of warriors in play. Since they score points for ruling empty clearings, if you pair them against someone like the Woodland Alliance, the Lord is going to start racking up 4 points per turn pretty quickly. They'd likely be a good fit against the Marquis de Cat or Lizard Cult, someone who can get a lot of units out in a short time. The second new faction is the Keepers in Iron. The Keepers in Iron's specific scoring goal for their faction is to reclaim relics, which are randomly seated in the forest of the board during setup. To do so, they need to reveal cards from their hand matching their current ruled clearing in order to pull tokens out of adjacent forests into their control, and then take them to a constructed way station for reclamation. Each claimed relic scores them two points and a bonus of some sort. The Keepers do have a few downsides. Their large bulky suits of armor, which allow them to ignore the first hit in combat, also slow them down so much that you can only move one of them per action without a supporting caravan, and the cards that they desperately need for their relic recovery are really hard to come by. They don't draw a new card at the end of every turn like most other factions, but instead have to earn cards by discarding their rare warrior pieces from play or recovering relics. They also have a decree similar to the Eerie in that they have to declare at the end of their turn which action bonus they're going to take for their next turn. While the mission bonus is nice, it also announces to every other player at the table what they plan on doing, setting them up as easy targets to attack or avoid. There's more to Root's newest Marauder expansion, including Hirelings, Landmarks, and more automated factions. And as the Kickstarter goes on, I'm sure Leader Games will release more content to play around with. They've already released some of the Hirelings, and in some new advanced rule sets to try out. The Marauder expansion Kickstarter is running until March 15th, so you've got a few days from this recording to check it out and pledge away. I'll likely be playing some of the new Hireling print-and-play content on stream this Sunday, so you can check out our channel on Twitch, of underscore dice underscore and underscore men underscore yqr 
and otherwise catch us on our bi-weekly-ish podcast via your favorite podcatcher. Last episode, we talked about the value of board games, which led to an interesting discussion about how much we think a box of printed cardboard is really worth. Enjoy the rest of what you've been playing Wednesdays, and hopefully we'll catch you soon. Hi, this is Andrew Buckle of SupportingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. This week, the game I'm going to focus on is Free Sisters. From Matt Riddle and Ben Pitchback, it's new to Kickstarter this week. Free Sisters is a roll-and-write game where one player rolls the dice and then everyone takes turns choosing dice and marking things off on their sheet. Free Sisters is towards the deeper end of the roll-and-write pool and also the heavier end. There are more combos in this and you'll find a lot of basic roll-and-writes and there's a lot to think about. That's not really surprising, considering that Riddle and Pinchback, the designers here, also did Fleet the Dice Game, which was also a heavier weight roll and write, and one that really explored combo possibilities. And for those who have played and enjoyed Fleet the Dice Game, I think you're going to get a lot of fun out of Free Sisters. Free Sisters, the title, comes from a method of planting crops that help each other out. As per Wikipedia, indigenous peoples in North America had been using the Free Sisters technique of companion planting as far back as 800 AD, and that initially involved maize, climbing beans, and winter squash. The modern version of this and the free crops that are used in the game are pumpkins instead of the squash, beans, which remain, and corn instead of maize. What's interesting about this is that these crops all benefit each other significantly. The corn or the maize provides a structure for the beans to climb, the beans put nitrogen in the soil, which helps the other crops, and the squash, or the pumpkins in this case, spreads along the ground, blocks sunlight, and helps to prevent weeds from being established. How this works in the game is that each player has their own garden sheet, and it includes regions, and in each of those regions you have each of the Free Sisters crops represented by boxes. How do you plant and grow those crops? Well, that's where the die drafting comes in. At the start of each round, the start player will roll all the dice and then arrange them around the central rondelle. As in games like Yispahan, you group the number of dice of one particular value together. So if you're rolling six dice, which you would do in a four-player game, and you wind up with two ones, two threes, a five, and a six, the two ones would go on the first space ahead of the farmer meeple, the two threes would go on the next space, the five would go on the next space, and the six would go on the next space. Then, after you've done that, you move the farmer meeple to the following space after the highest number, so that ensures that the dice are going to be set up for other actions next round. Once those dice are rolled and placed, each player, in turn order, drafts a single die. They then use that die both in their garden to either plant or to water. What that means is planting is checking off 
up to new boxes of crops, while watering increases boxes of a crop that you have already planted. In addition to the garden action, you get to take an action based on the rondel space from which you selected the die. And you can do that and your garden action in either order. So sometimes you're able to set up a combo by doing a garden move first, and sometimes you're able to set up a combo by doing the rondel move first. Rondel actions let you do things like improve your apiary with bees to get uh, different combos out of that, improve your fruit track, which lets you get other points and other combos, go to the hardware store, which lets you check off boxes on tools in order to gain abilities, go to the shed, which gives you goods that work for allowing bonus actions, and it also gives you compost, which you can use to modify your rolls. Go to the farmer's market, which gives you bonuses based on how many goods you have collected to that point, or just take an extra gardening action. A cool thing with this is that once everyone has selected a die, the, everyone gets to use the last die that's left. So that can add some interesting decisions in which die you take, because you're also thinking about what you're hoping will be the last die that you'll get to use as well. Overall, Free Sisters is a great puzzle, and it's one that also comes with a very good solo mode, where you compete against Farmer Edith, who drafts specific dies based on a list of priorities. It's a fun puzzle to explore that way as well. For those who like strategic games and light games at the deeper end of the roll and write spectrum, I think there's going to be a lot to enjoy here. I've been playtesting this game a bit over the last few months, and I think it's quite an enjoyable roll and write, especially for those who like the idea of deeper combos and deep strategic decisions. And the production version of this looks really beautiful from everything they've shown to this point, particularly of Beth Sobel's art. So that's Free Sisters. It's from Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle and their new company, Motor City Gameworks, and it's available on Kickstarter right now. And I'm Andrew Buckles of BoardingGame.com. You can find me there or on Twitter at Andrew Buckles, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it's Dylan and Carlo again from All You Can Board, and we're right back for another episode of What You've Been Playing. Wednesday, we've been playing some really cool games, the first of which is Renature, a game that we absolutely love now. And I'm going to throw it over to Carlo here to talk about why we love it so much. All right, yeah. Uh, part of the reason we're loving it so much is because I don't think we really expected it a whole lot, uh, or a whole lot from it. Um, wasn't really on our radar as like one of our most anticipated games of 2020. And other people might be in the same boat, being kind of fooled by the, the pretty artwork and stuff. But um, it's actually a pretty mean game. Um, and it's also just very, yeah, very, very interesting. Lots to consider on every turn. Uh, we have a how to play video up on our channel, so I won't get into the full rules here. But the long and short of it is it's a domino laying game with area majority. So there's two different types of spots on the boards. Uh, one type of spot where you're actually laying your dominoes and then there's these adjacent areas where you can plant these different size or colors of plants and then these plants are basically going to be used to fight over the majorities in these areas um, 
So the game is like, there's, there's some of it seems pretty simple because you're basically just placing a domino and placing a plant. But what kind of changes the game and opens things right up is that each player not only has pieces uh, like plants in their own color, but also a neutral color, which doesn't score for either player. So you can place these to kind of deny other players points in these areas where you're scoring majorities. And then you also have these cloud tokens in your supply that allow you to do these little like game-breaking moves. Everyone starts with six clouds and you can use them to either take pieces back that you've already planted or you can, you know, change the, the wild uh, suit on the dominoes, or you can even take an extra turn back to back. So there are these little things where it kind of just blows the game wide open and you can have these crazy game-changing turns. Feels like every game we've played so far, regardless of player count, there's always like one or two, like just absolute game-changing moments where you use these clouds and sort of just, it's almost like your little magic meter. And it's like, you can use all six clouds and make one crazy big move, or you can save them up and do two or three smaller moves, but it kind of lets you tweak the whole mechanics of the game and kind of just, yeah, bend it. I just love how much that opens it up and, and how much of an effect that seems to have on who wins or loses the game is that kind of one big moment and when do you spot it. Yeah, this is the perfect game to lure in a significant other with its gorgeous artwork <laughs> and then absolutely destroy them with some crazy move. Um, it's a game that every time I play, there's a move that I feel super good about and at the same time, so much shame that I'm about to do something to my opponent that I just don't feel proud of, but kind of do feel proud of at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Um, that's where the meanness comes in is like, you will feel great about what you're doing, but you're really going to have some swings in a game where one person is at the table is not going to feel super great about the position, but... Yeah. There's cloud tokens and there's ways to sort of get that back and swing it back in your favor. For sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's. It, I think in that way we've said it's kind of like Arboretum, where the artwork uh, paints a very different picture than what the actual game is in terms of its like uh, how not accessible it is, but you would expect it to be a lot more tame. Yes. And it's not that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's anything but, and and I love it. And the other thing I'd like to say real quick about it is. I've seen a couple of people online say like, oh, it's good, but it's kind of simple. You only usually have like two or three moves each turn. And I just feel like what what game are those people playing? Like when I, <laughs> I feel like maybe on the first turn or two, but like even as of turn three onwards, four on, like sometimes it feels like there can be like a hundred or more permutations. Like even yeah. just again with the clouds and what they enable you to do, like it feels like you could stare at it forever. But because not everything is calculable, it kind of stops you from getting too deep into the analysis paralysis because you realize like, you can kind of have an idea of if someone's going to be able to steal an area back from you, but you can't just sit there mathing everything out because they can always do something that kind of, again, breaks everything. So, yeah, yeah it's just, there's there's so much to like here. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan. I, I Every time I play it, I just want to play it again right away. Uh, surprised, I think, both of us, but I'm just super, super impressed with Renature. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the other game we have been playing, uh, which I'll touch on a little bit here, but I'll also tease that we're going to have some content coming out on it that'll uh, go into it a little bit deeper, is Three Sisters. This is a brand new game from uh, Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, who uh, designed Stellar and Fleet the Dice game, along with a whole other one, a bunch of other games. Uh, it comes to Kickstarter tomorrow as of this recording. When you guys listen to this on Wednesday, it will be out. Um, and uh, we have some content coming out with a how to play, as well as a, a preview that's already up as we're recording this. Um, this is a really cool strategic roll and write. Um, it's a deeper roll and write. Roll 
and writing experience than what you might be used to from the genre. You get two sheets, not just one. Exactly. It's so big you need two sheets, and both sheets are full of boxes to check off. Uh, everything you do is going to combo into something else. You're going to feel like you're like becoming a master of a roll and write, and everything you do is going to be like, I just chained four things into this. I think it's one of the things that I love so much about the That's So Clever games yep. is that every time you can do like this, chains into this, chains into this, you feel very good about that. Almost every turn of Three Sisters, especially when you get to the middle of the game, feels like that to to the extreme. Um, and uh, it, there's just it's a deeper roll and write experience. It's a little more complicated. So if you're someone who likes the little more laid back roll and writes, I think that this is something that to be aware of is that you're going to get a little bit of a deeper, more complicated experience. But me personally, I think as a roll and write, that was an awesome change of pace for sure. Um, I think we we both enjoyed it. The theme is really really good with the gardening and the way that they've tied it in it all makes sense I, I, I joked on our YouTube channel one of the comments the only thing it's missing is the rabbits that eat all, eat all the stuff uh, yeah. in the garden and, and ruin the garden for you absolutely um, but yeah I don't know if you have anything you want to add But I was just going to say it, it. the more I think about it it almost feels a little more because we're talking about it's heavier it's strategic it feels more like a board game that's been put into like a roll and write format because like even when you look at the sheets they don't look like other roll and write sheets all the different sections are like you know think of I mean, I'm not comparing this in weight, but, like, if you look at these, like, big, like, Vital Lacerda games and stuff where it's, like, this corner of the board is this kind of, like, thing and it's its own little mini game, and then this corner has this thing. It's kind of like that, right? You've got your garden where you actually plant stuff. Then you've got your shed with all your tools. Then over here you've got your apiary that can branch out. Then you've got your fruits planted. Like, it's all in its different spot, but it all works together super well. It's, yeah, anyone out there who's looking, who likes Roll and Rights and looking for one a bit heavier than what you normally play, definitely check out Three Sisters. Yeah, couldn't recommend it enough right now. Or at least check out the Kickstarter and see if it, if it seems like it's for you. Um, like I said, we'll have a bunch of content up on the channel when you listen to this, so feel free to check that out. Uh, otherwise, that's what we've been playing. Um, hope you enjoyed this video. Hope you'll check us out on YouTube and uh, allyoucanboard.com. And otherwise, we will see you next time, uh, ne either next Wednesday or the Wednesday after when we uh, tell you what else we've been playing. Take care. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we are Board on the Air, and this is What Have You Been Playing? Wednesday edition for a group of Canadian podcasters who get together and put everything together. Virtually. Virtually. Virtually yes, get together. Yes, we are not in the same room. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the game we are going to talk about this week is one of the new hot games from Alexander Pfister called Cloud Age. Yes, a card drafting style game with a little bit of drafting in there what are you drafting in this you did you play the same game i played I did? the same game i got so many cards okay so this one has some feel of a lot of his games where they're mm. multi-use cards mm -hmm. uh depending on how you play them some of them you use as a resource uh yep. and they're gonna give you special abilities uh one-time bonuses yep and you're moving your airship across the board to different cities, uh, attacking their militia. Mm -hmm. It is a very, it, it, the theme is very dystopian world that you're moving across to kind of take over. Yeah, and you can upgrade your player board like a lot of his games, only this one. It's your, your ship, your Zeppelin, mm -hmm. and you're adding cannons and stuff like that and faster movement or more movement more than yeah anything. you get extra um movement spaces because your cards like i thought the the neat way that this game played where you have that deck of cards with numbers uh and as you flip them over one of them the lower one is how much energy or cards you get 
Uh, and then the higher one is how much movement you get. So it adds on to that movement, you know, in case you get the zero or the one or something. Yeah, it has that deck building element where you have uh, a group of cards of different values. Yep. And you can thin that out through different actions in the game. I would say, yeah, you, you can thin it out, but there it's not easy to get those ones unless you guess really well. Yeah, so there's three phases to the game. The first one is basically the resource phase or the production phase. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is your movement phase. And the third phase, you are exploring. Yeah. Uh, you're going out onto a board. You can, you can explore one of three cards or you can build. Uh, it's got a uh, sort of a race for the galaxy feel to it where if somebody's taking an action, everybody gets to follow that action. But it's not as powerful as the person who chose it. Uh, everybody gets to choose an action, so everybody gets that extra bonus, and you go from there. Uh, the neat part of the exploration is you have these card sleeves with clouds, clouds on them, yeah. hence Cloud Age. Cloud Age. And you can sort of see around the outside, but you don't know what you're getting for sure until you... You pick. know, you, you, you pick one of four things. Yeah, you pick where you're going to, which thing you're going to go for. Yeah. And then the person who picked first takes the card and shows you what you get. Yeah, you, uh, you can get water, you can get metal, you can get cards or energy. Yeah. Uh, those are your four main resources in the game. Yeah, and then there's usually two bonus actions, or there is always two bonus actions on the cards. Yeah. There is the gear, or not a gear, the sorry, wrench. the wrench that lets you upgrade uh, something on your boat. You just have to pay for it. Or take a resource. Um, so yeah. that does the uh, attack or the movement. Yeah. Or you can do the kill card. Yes. And that's where you can take a card from your discard pile. And and that's usually in the, the movement ones, like the, the numbered yeah. cards. Take one of those cards and remove it from the game. Yeah. Really good if you can get your zero out. I did not get my zero out. I got my one out when I got yeah, it. Yeah, I got my zero out in the first round. And I was like, huh. That was easy. Yeah, but it, it is really neat. <laughs> yeah, and so when you go to a city, you battle the militia, as I mentioned, and you're going to have an attack value, but you can also draw that from that deck of movement cards, and it costs one energy to draw the first one and two energy energy to draw each additional card. Yeah. And that, the value on those gets added to your... Attack points. Attack points as yeah. well. Uh, and right off the bat, you have to do this because you don't have any attack points. Yeah. You can get them through upgrading your boat. Uh, they have cannons that you flip Zeppelin? over. Or, sorry, Zeppelin. Skyboat. Skyboat. Sky yeah. Yeah. Skyboat. Uh, your Zeppelin, you can flip the tiles over and uh, get more attack points. Or you can get cards that you build that will also give you attack points. Yes. Uh, in terms of Fister games... This is probably the lightest of his that I have played. Uh, it's got feels of a lot of his games because of the card play that he likes to put in games. But it was still solid. It was still mm -hmm. fun. I really enjoyed this game, honestly. Yeah. Like, I would definitely play it again. Like, I I didn't like it as much as I like Great Western Trail or Maracaibo because those ones just sing to me. But I thought for a game that I could pull out and play with pretty much anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, like the teach is very, very simple, I thought. Yep. And yeah, it's it, it's a solid, solid game. 
but it is a, a step back from the medium weight or solid medium weight that he usually puts out. Yeah. I did really enjoy it though. Like I had a lot of fun playing it. I definitely would pick it before Great Western Trail. Um, what's what's your deal about cows? Listen, you just gotta come listen to our podcast uh, and we'll talk about Great Western Trail. But I also am interested that you said it had a campaign version, right? Like, like Maracaibo. Yeah, like Maracaibo, it has a, a story-based campaign. Uh, I'm curious to see that too because it's going to open up more... Th- more things to the game. We just played the first scenario in this one. Yeah, so there's going to be new powers, new, um, possibly new resources. We'll see. Uh, I don't think there's any new no, resources. No, I thought there was something else. No, it's uh, different victory points that we could get. More but. victory points, more cards, and more upgrades for your ship. Yeah. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Shay. We are Board on the Air. You can find us on CFCR every Thursday night at 6 o'clock and all of your favorite podcasting sites. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. Hello, my name is Aaron Milich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when it isn't. And we are excited to be here. We're talking about two more games about what we've been playing. And I just want to say, we I, we get a little flack, especially me, <laughs> for being cult of the new. We're only interested in brand new games. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is I'm always buying new games, so I'm That's always true. excited about my new game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just for that. We're going to talk about two old games. <laughs> All right. Let's do two old games for a change. Yeah. Uh, my game came out in 2013 originally. Okay. That's uh, old, is it? Okay. <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> my best. All right. <laughs> uh, so uh, what it is, it's uh, Takenoko. Ah. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Takenoko is by Antoine Bauza. It's from Bombix and Madigo in 2013. I've actually had this game pretty much since 2013. I bought it pretty new when it came out. Why I'm talking about it now instead of, you know, a new game is I just got a new game. Uh, I got the brand new Super Collector's Edition of Takenoko, and it is so beautiful. It is massive. The bamboo stands like seven inches tall, these wooden bamboo pieces. The panda weighs like half a pound. He's so chunky and huge. It's fantastic. And it's just so beautiful. I already love Takenoko. Takenoko is a game where you are doing set collection, you are rolling dice to get actions, you are doing action selection to do take different things around the board. It is a lighter family level game where you can play with kids, but adults can appreciate it as well. This just is such a wonderfully tactile, immersive experience in this collector's edition that I cannot recommend it highly enough if it wasn't so expensive, I would have bought it a long time ago. If I hadn't gotten such a good deal on it, I never would have gotten it. So buy the base game if you don't have it. It's really worth it. But wow, the collector's edition is so pretty. Nice. Yeah, yeah certainly a great game. And if you want a chance just to try it before you buy it, this is one of those ones on Board Game Arena. It is on Board Game Arena. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And it plays yeah. really well there. <clears throat> it does. It's actually a nice implementation. Yeah. So... Royce's game came out in 2013. We're talking about old games today. Yeah. Uh, my game came out in 1960. <laughs> <laughs> but 
by Parker Brothers. You really have to show me up every time. <laughs> Apparently 1964, to be more accurate, by Parker Brothers. This is one of those games, like when you go to Value Village, you always see board games there, and it's always the same things. Certain different variations of Trivial Pursuit and about 20 copies of Taboo. But it's it, seen it. So many scenes. And seen it. Yeah, yeah, seen it. But if you can find a copy of this game, it usually runs you three or four dollars. It holds up really well. And it's basically like playing Wheel of Fortune with other people around the board, except you get to choose what the word's going to be. The game is called Probe. Horrible name. Uh, I guess it wasn't a big joke back then like it is now, thanks to South Park. Um, but uh, yeah, all it is is basically you have a little uh, board in front of you and you lay down letters to play a word. Uh, you also have blanks you can throw in there too to try and throw off your opponent. You can put them at the beginning or the end of the word. And there are cards that you draw, like some of them are take a normal turn, take an additional turn, deduct 10 points, add 25 points. And you get to guess a letter from anyone's word, one letter at a time, from anyone around the table. And as you start exposing their letters, you get those points. So if you make your word really long, people are going to get a lot of points off your word. If you make a really short word, they're going to get less points, but it might be easier to guess. So basically, you're all kind of going around the table and guessing each other's words. And it isn't whether or not people guess your word first, second, third, fourth. It doesn't really matter. It's whoever has the most points at the end of that round wins. So there is some strategy involved as well. The game holds up really well. Parker Brothers, 1964, Probe. If you ever see it in a used shop, pick it up. It holds up well to this day. I, I, I'm surprised I haven't played this one. I'm, a, I'm kind of interested. So we'll have to play it together when COVID is finally over. <laughs> yeah, if you love word games then for sure you got to give it a try. It's up there with Scrabble for me. I've been playing it for uh, since I was a child, and I really enjoy it. Excellent. All right, so that was our one really old game and one that was at least old enough that I'm no longer cult of the new. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so that's What You've Been Playing Wednesday. We're a Definitely a Board Game podcast. You can find us at on uh, Twitter at, at BoardDefinitely. You can email us at DefinitelyBoard at gmail.com and you can always find us on our guild on Board Game Geek at Definitely Board Game Podcast. Yeah, and check out our podcast, Definitely a Board Game Podcast, which you can find anywhere that podcasts live. Awesome. See you soon. Bye. Hi everyone, Matthew here from Montreal-based board game publisher Scorpion Masque. Do you like word games? Do you like deduction games? Did you enjoy Decrypto, the number one party game on BGG? Well, if so, you have to pick up Master Word, our brand new word-based deduction game. Kind of a cooperative cross between Mastermind and 20 Questions. Listen until the end of the segment and I'll tell you how you can watch a live play of Master Word this coming weekend. When I was a kid, I used to play a ton of chess with my best buddy, Joe. We'd run around and play road hockey outside. I was Patrick Wah and he was Mats Nasland and he was Doug Sotart and I was Guy Carboneau. And then we'd come back inside and play hours of chess, drinking tea and listening to Johnny Cash albums. He was a much better player than I was, but I was so used to his strategies and tactics that I was able to grab a win from time to time, say one in three or four games. Now those head-to-head zero-sum game confrontations were a huge part of my development as a gamer. Recently, I've revisited this kind of head-to-head -head challenge, and the game that has brought back those memories is Seven Wonders Duel by Bruno Cathala, published by Repost Productions. 
Now this two-player game is reminiscent of its predecessor, Seven Wonders, but it's a much tighter and much more elegant game overall. Now for those of you who don't know, Seven Wonders Duel is a tableau building card game in which you do a kind of open draft. The cards are laid out in a specific pattern on the table with alternating rows of face-up and face-down cards, and each row overlaps the row beneath it. Each turn, all you do is you take a card from the face-up cards available, and when a face-down card no longer has any cards overlapping it, it's flipped face-up. Now this face-up and face-down element gives you information about what cards will be available later in the round, so you can sort of plan ahead. Now you use the cards to get resources, just like you do in Seven Wonders. You develop commerce, you gain military power, you increase your science knowledge, you gain victory points, and you generate money or you construct wonders that give you bonuses. You play through three eras, and at the end, the player with the most victory points wins. Oh, but there's also military victories. If you collect enough military power, you can push the military symbol all the way along the track to your enemy's capital and win instantly. Oh, there's also the science victory, in which you successfully collect all six science symbols. That's an instant win too. And sometimes, building a wonder gives you an immediate extra turn, taking your opponent completely by surprise. Now my buddy Chris, who I've mentioned here before, is nearly unbeatable at economic games. I mean, he's able to do these quick mental calculations that even with a pen and paper and calculator and a free weekend, I just couldn't do. <laughs> but we've played around 14 games of Seven Wonders Duel in the last week. Games only last 20 or 30 minutes. And I think I might have the slight upper hand on him in the wins column. The why is this? Well, a lot of it has to do with the cards that come up. I mean, if you're forced to take a card that reveals a very good card for your opponent, well, there's much you can do, not much you can do about that. So you might think that luck is the only reason I've been able to squeak out my glorious victories. <laughs> not so fast. Now, if we think back to my chess story from a couple of minutes ago, I found that one of the best ways to beat my friend Joe when I was little was to distract him while playing a sneaky move to take him by surprise. My hands would sweat, my heart would pound, and I would watch him eyeing the other side of the chessboard from where my diabolical but incredibly delicate plan was about to take place. If he notices, it's all over. And if not, boom. I pulled off a science victory like this in Seven Wonders Duel against Chris. I was losing by around 40 points. It was like 55 to 15. I had no hope. I did, however, have four of the six science cards. And on my final two turns, I was able to grab a fifth and construct a wonder to give me the Law Progress token that grants a wild science for the astonishing victory. We, 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 we couldn't believe it. We were both flabbergasted. But as this plan was coming together, I had that same heart-in-mouth feeling as I used to have, hunched over the chessboard with only this daredevil, all-or-nothing, Hail Mary plan keeping my flickering hopes alive. The one proviso I have that out of the 14 games we've played, only two have gone the full distance to a victory point calculation. All the others, that's 12 games, have been decided either by military or science victories. And yes, sometimes the game will screw you. Your choices suck, you have no opportunities. If I take this card, it gives him this one. But if I take that card, he gets an even better one. And, and wait, oh, you know what? He's actually going to get both of them. And there's nothing I can do about it. And why do I still have no resources? Oh, great. <laughs> Look what he's just flipped. Fantastic. But, you know what? 20 minutes later, that game is over, and you've started another one, and this time, you're on top, and look at him squirm. Yes! Yes! Take that card! <laughs> I'm not really like that. 
well, maybe a bit. It is such a well-made, beautiful, elegant, crunchy game. And the beauty of playing it on BGA is that you don't have to faff around with setting the damn game up. It's all there for you. And all you need to do is put on the kettle for tea and turn up the Johnny Cash. So that's it for this segment. I'm Matthew Legault from Scorpion Masque, and if you would like to join me for a live play of Masterword, I will be at the Virtual Games Summit this Saturday, March 13th at 1pm Eastern Standard Time. You can find info about this event at thegranitegamesummit.com or on their Facebook page. Come and join us, it'll be a great laugh. Take care, and I'll catch you all next time. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dyson Dragons. And this week on What You've Been Playing Wednesday, we're going to talk about... The Few and Cursed. Cursed. Yes, this is published by Rock Manor Games. It is designed by Mike Nade, the owner of Rock Manor Games, and it is based on the comic book series by Felipe Cagano and Fabiano Neves. I'm glad I was able to remember that now. Neither of us have read the graphic novel. I did pledge to get into the pledge manager. Well, I'm not sure they had a pledge manager for uh, that trade paperback Kickstarter, but I'm hoping they had one. So uh, this game has a solo mode, a competitive mode, a cooperative mode. Uh, can play up to four players. Uh, it's a fairly long game, though. Uh, the box is a little confused. It says 60 to 90 minutes. We find that it's probably, uh, in our place at least, 90 minutes to two hours. Yes, I'd have to agree with you on that, and that is at two players. So what are you doing in the few and cursed? Well, it is a post-apocalyptic future that is the setting, well, the setting has now become the Weird West. It is based around the city of San Andreas, and you are a cursed chaser who is trying to acquire the most grit, or if you're playing cooperatively, you're trying to defeat three monsters before you run out of grit. Now, all the action takes place in what is now known as the Pacific Desert. It is what used to be the Pacific Ocean because all of the water has disappeared and water is now currency. Now, this is a deck-building adventure game, so you're going to be using cards to fight and capture bounties, to move around the map, and hopefully become the grittiest curse chaser of them all. So, you know, talking about the deck building, I really enjoyed the whole improvised mechanic. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Every turn you get to pick up two cards uh, and you decide which one you want to keep and you put it right into your hand that you're going to play, the other one you discard. Um, so as much as uh, I really like that, that's also what I would say uh, added a lot of time uh, to the game because uh, you have to be, it basically gives you pause as you're trying to figure out what you're going to do and you can't really pre-plan, right? Because there's a lot of cool stuff that can happen with those uh, those deck builders, the cards you pick up. Uh, you can get extra fight, you can get extra money, you can uh, get more curse, less curse, uh, you can, uh, what else am I forget? movement, sometimes all of those things. I'm wondering, well, oh, it would be, be hard to work but I think it'd be interesting if there's a way to do the improvised mechanic at the end of your turn, just so that you had all your cards going into the start yeah, of your turn. Yeah, but I like the fact that you get it and you get to play it. I think no, it's no, a no. What I mean mechanic. is, let's say that you end your turn and then you have your five cards so you can plan out your next turn. I mean, you'd have to just start the game with five cards. 
Like you each start with an yeah, improvised. Yeah, I don't know. I like this. I mean, as much as I'm complaining about the fact that it adds time, uh, it was fun. Um, hey, I I agree with you. I love the improvised mechanic. I'm just trying to think of a way that we could save some time to make it easier to get to the. You table. know what? The other thing I like uh, is that, um, and I'm gonna, you know, this character. I played the character, the character of Annabelle, the redhead, and I really liked it because she um, she kicks uh, she kicks butt. Uh, she's pretty strong, and, and it's fun to see a strong character. Uh, she has a lot of capacity to take on Curse without becoming Cursed. Well, she is the main character of the few in Cursed. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, so she was a lot of fun to play. Uh, I also really enjoyed the minis. I like the fact that there are minis on this big board. Yeah, and it's always fun to have a big board where we have places to store cards. I mean, that's one of the reasons why with our LCGs we buy playmats, so we've got... Nice places to store our cards on a playmat. Uh, so, I mean, I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I like the fact that you're fighting these monsters and the monsters get progressively harder. Uh, I thought that was... That well, was not necessarily progressively harder. I, I say that that's the way they all came out, but there's definitely a, a level to them. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some there's some weaker ones that came out afterwards as well. But, I mean, what... Okay. You work your way up to the really bad guys. How's that? Yes, that's a great way to put it. Um, so for me, there's also, I mean, what did you think of the jobs? I like the jobs. I thought it was an interesting way that you can take part in the game and score lots of points depending on the jobs that you get without even trying to capture bounties and even engage with any of the monsters. Now, one thing to, to mention is that we played the cooperative game and the competitive game. During the cooperative game, because you have to go after the most wanted bounties, those hard villains that then become more monstrous. Well, not necessarily more monstrous, but some of them are fairly monstrous when you look at them. That guy with the crazy face paint that has lots of uh, mm -hmm. attack. Well, yeah, he's monstrous. In any case, because you have to clear all those most wanted bounties or else you'll be taking negative hits to your overall grit, and that's sort of your timer that's going to be ticking down. You don't really get a chance to use the jobs or the regular wanted bounties unless you're really in a tight spot. It's all about gearing yourself up in a cooperative game to be able to smash the bad guys as quickly as possible. But in a competitive game, you don't have to do that, and the jobs are a really nice way to play a yeah, completely different Yeah, but I was going to say, and you score about, lots of points. talking about uh, gearing yourself up, you don't want to uh, neglect to go try to collect those artifacts when you're playing the competitive game because they definitely have a huge impact. I was running away with the game uh, until we counted at the at the end of the game and Jason pulled ahead by a long shot because of all the artifacts that he had picked up. I also had a, a job that let me double points on some of my other jobs, which really helped out as well. So basically, that's what we've been playing. Uh, we, I mean, I enjoyed it. But it's not my favorite game of 2021. No, it's it's a deck building adventure game. We like deck builders. We like adventure games. We're not the biggest Western fans. We do like the Weird West because there's a supernatural element. So this is definitely a fun game to play. It's just that if we're going to play a deck builder, I think we've played a few others that we prefer currently. Also, if we play an adventure game, we've got Runebound, which hasn't seen the table for a long time. And if we're really going to sit down and play a really long game, I think that's just going to be the one. It'll take the cake over this. Maybe if there was a way to play it faster or if we play it more times and we can slim it down, it'll see the table more often. So our review of this, if you want more details, will be coming out later this week if you want to check it out on our YouTube channel uh, on 
Dice at Dice and Dragons, or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Dice and Dragons and Twitter at Dice and Dragon, just to be different. Yes, just to be different. And don't forget, keep keep playing playing games. games. This is Rob from Metal Meeples and Beer, again a recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. I'm joined again with my wife, Anna Marie. Hello. And today we're going to talk about two games. The first one we're going to talk about is Fort from Leader Games of Root fame, uh, designed by Grant Rodiek. Uh, the art is also by Kyle Farron, the, the same artist that did all the iconic art for Root and Vast and the new Oath that's coming out on Kickstarter. Um, this is a deck building game for two to four players, uh, and this game is is about kind of warring little clans of kids in the neighborhood, building forts, and uh, competing to build the biggest fort, and competing for friends, and and uh, betraying each other, and they're collecting pizza and toys, and uh, all kinds of fun, cool things that took me right back to uh, the '90s and my kind of childhood playing outside in the neighborhood. Uh, Anna-Marie, can you tell us uh, some things about this game? I think my favorite part of this game was the recruiting phase. Mm-hmm. So in when you recruit, you get to basically gather more kids to your, to your right. fort building process. Whether it's kids just hanging out in the neighborhood or trying to steal kids from the opposite fort. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think is fun because you can try to mess with the other players and try to take away their... Uh, their their recruits, their former recruits, mm-hmm. but then they can just turn around and mess with you right back and the next time. So it's a fun little you can dig them, they'll dig you and it's I don't know, I like that and it wasn't uh Yeah, you're constantly yeah. stealing uh, kids from each other and each kid has a different power. So you're kind of recruiting them for their ability and you're taking them over into your hand and you're gonna use them, but then if you do use them, uh your opponent might be able to steal them back from you and so forth. Yeah, that's a fun part of the game. Keeping with the theme of that, though, too, there are two cards that every player has that can't be taken, and they're yeah. your best the friends. The best friends, yeah. They <laughs> never they never leave uh, their their home fort, so they're with you to the to the end through thick and thin, but all the other kids are kind of uh, Fair game. jumping ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one thing I really liked about this game was that whenever I played a card, uh, it would have two sections on it one for everyone to use and one for just me to use and same for you right on the other side so it was kind of cool whenever i played this card you would have the opportunity you might not have the right uh cards to do it but you'd have the opportunity to potentially use my card as well uh to kind of a lesser degree and then i would also get a second action on there that was only just available for me and the same thing for you. It added in that element of, you know, if, if I play this, well, he can play it too. So do I want to play it or do I want to maybe right. not play it this time? Yeah. But how long do you put off playing it? it so I, I did like that as well. Yeah. I really like uh, the resources or just the two resources, pizzas and toys. And you're <laughs> yeah. using those toys and pizzas. You're trading them in to build um, up your fort to higher levels. and. Once you reach a level five on the fort, I think it triggers the end of the game. And also, pretty hilarious, you you whoever builds the the biggest fort <laughs> first gets up to the level five fort first gets the macaroni trophy. The macaroni right? trophy, yeah, yeah. and uh, which gives you little uh, gives you extra victor points at the end of the game. And that also triggers the end of the game. And 
everyone gets equal amount of turns and then you count up victory points and count up uh, your little because you get special rules too as you make it through what are they called made up rules or something yeah. they're called yeah make believe made, made up rules made up rules yeah. and you, each each one of your forts has their own set of made up rules that you get uh, some extra points at the end of the game too so yeah I thought it was a lot of fun it kind of made me think about when when I was a kid and we would do forts all the time and it was literally like straight out of that with their skateboards and and uh, yeah the pizza and Toys just, yeah. and yeah, the water guns. Thing. Water guns, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The whole thing just is is great from a theme perspective. Oh, the components in this game too. I didn't expect anything less. Yeah. Honestly, being from Leader Games, but yeah, they have the double thick cardboard for your uh, your player mat and uh, the little wooden bits and stuff. Everything just fits nicely, and it's great because this is a game that we're going to try and play with our kids as well. And uh, keeping the little bits on their player board and in, in the double thick. Cardboard will will help a lot, especially with our little guys, because he he knocks things over all the time <laughs> yeah. and stuff. But yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this one. Um, and it's a great price point, too. Uh, it's a small box, uh, a lot of a game in a small box, but we've only played just the two of us, and I'm very curious to play with three or four players. I but the two-player game, I felt, was very chess-like and uh, almost, um, yeah, I, I would say like it just has like a back-and-forth take that and and chessy type of thing yeah. going back and forth. So I did I did enjoy it with two for sure, but I'm curious to play with three and four. And we're about even on this one. Yep. Uh, I think you've crushed me once, but other Definitely than that, it's, did crush you. it's yeah. been <laughs> as per usual. But um, but otherwise, I think it's been pretty even. But yeah, Fort from Leader Games really like it. The other game uh, we're going to talk about quickly is one we've talked about a few times, but it's the newest hero packs for Marvel Champions from Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, we had uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet, uh, Witch. Scarlet Witch, and we purposefully held on to Quicksilver so that we could play them together. He came out last month, she came out this month, only a few days ago. We played them together. I played as Quicksilver, you played as Scarlet Witch. We took on Ultron, trying to get revenge for uh, Pietro here. Uh, and uh, tell us about Scarlet Witch. She was so much fun to play. She has been my favorite character, my favorite hero to play so far. Um, usually I find that I'm taking so much time trying to figure out what card to play out of my deck because mm -hmm. it or out of my hand because it costs so much but and every card I'm gonna get rid of is gonna it's painful for me and it yep. takes me a long time, as you can attest to. Yes. But I found with this one with Scarlet Witch, it didn't take me long at all to, to choose what I wanted to play. Yeah. She had low card costs and then she had zero card costs that would pay for high card costs. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is that when you would play those, you'd have to like burn cards from the encounter deck. So it made yeah. that go more quickly and can kind of amped up yeah. uh, that part of the game. But I, I had a ton of fun playing her. I thought she was a great balance of attack and thwart. She was super powerful too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. Great. She was just fun. It was. Yeah. She was a fun character to play for sure. Yeah, and uh, just quickly here, uh, Quicksilver was was really fun too. He uh, was able to become ready over and over and over again, which is kind of pretty thematic and cool. Where I was able to ready him like three or four times in a single uh, turn and smash uh, uh, against Ultron, and and we actually came down to the wire. We beat Ultron, so we got revenge for Pietro. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah. Uh, these these games uh, these hero packs just keep getting better and better. We're looking forward to the the next set, which I believe is all to do with the Guardians of the Galaxy, which are some of our favorite characters. 
So, yeah, we are already out of time here. Um, you can catch us uh, on Twitter, Metal Meeples and Beer, YouTube for the videos and such. And, uh, yeah, this is Rob and Anna Marie. We will see you again next week. Cheers. See ya. Hey everybody, Matt and John here from Friday Night Games. You can check us out at uh, Instagram at Friday Night underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, Twitch at Friday Night GMS, uh, YouTube, just uh, search Friday Night Games. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're, we're really happy to be on the show today. Uh, cardboard Conundrum. That's what I, isn't that what it's called? Oh, what you've been playing Wednesdays. Oh, right. I'm just playing off a joke from last episode. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so john what do we uh what do we play tonight we just got off a of stream you know what uh the stream was a little bit different tonight so uh I, I a little while ago i was trying to look at ways that we could be a little bit more interesting on our live stream like you know we've been playing board games for like a few months now and every week we're trying to learn a new board game and play and interact with everyone on the channel um so i thought i would ch challenge you to do something a little bit different so i thought maybe we could paint miniatures on the live stream since I've never done it before. And uh, I assumed you never did it before, but you painted Gundam <laughs> models like 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago, I used to have uh, a bunch of Gundam wing models and I actually went out and purchased at uh, Christmas. I asked for a bunch of uh, models. I actually had to order them from straight from Japan. I had to like go to a crazy website to get them. But uh, yeah, I did. And I have a, actually have a pretty decent airbrush too. So, um, but this is a little different. Yeah, so I was on our uh, local game store, Tabletop Renaissance uh, Facebook page, and I was just asking around, like, hey, what are some good sets to start off as starter sets um, to do this stream? And uh, the owner of the, the game shop was like, hey, just let me know what you want, and uh, I'll supply it for you. So it was really cool that uh, he um, sponsored our stream today. He, he ordered us a couple Warhammer 40K uh, starter sets to paint tonight. Yeah, so I got to uh, paint the Space Marines, and John got to paint the Necrons. Yeah, so what did you think of my challenge, Matt? Um, well, the challenge is still going to go on, and we're going to post some pictures, and everyone can vote on it. Um, let me ask you Let me ask you a question. What did you like about it, John? Mm, uh, I think the experience was good. I think if we were going to put it over the top and have an awesome time, I'd put on some like, meditation music while we were doing it. Um, honestly, it was like super calming and, uh, I did the, I, the only thing I wish I had while we were painting is like those magnifying goggles so I could see a little bit more. I felt like I kept having to take my glasses off to, uh, look closer. Um, honestly, I just, I really enjoyed just getting into it and I look forward to exploring it more and trying out new techniques and getting a little bit more detail it, put it, into it. It definitely brought me back to my Gundam. Uh, painting days although uh, this was a lot more fine detail than Gundam painting but I really liked it I actually was like oh man I wish I was doing this more often um, which kind of makes me feel like hey I should buy like maybe not necessarily um, miniatures for like a board well I mean, it could be miniatures for a board game but maybe I'd buy something like uh, an actual model and like paint it have like a pretty sweet model like a paint oh that'd be interesting yeah like it doesn't have to be uh, miniature it could be like Batman for you or yeah. something that, you know, Naruto for me or something. So is there anything that you feel like uh, 
you did incorrectly. Oh. <laughs> 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 like Matt, everything. Matt's literally on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like everything, man. I, I I am not very artistic, and painting is a like a fine skill. Like you have to have very careful hands. Uh-huh. And I felt like I was always just like, oh, I'd be like, oh yeah, check this out, and then, oh, I just painted the whole arm. <laughs> and it wasn't just like oh i painted a little bit up the arm it was like oh i'm painting the left arm and then i moved over and i started painting the whole right arm <laughs> and i'm like oh no i'm such a clumsy painter yeah with mine um i, I it was hard because i had uh putting the miniature together these ones were just like snapped together pieces um my one of my arms never actually snapped into place so it was really hard. I was trying not to paint that piece hard so that it wouldn't just like fall right out. Oh, I had a casualty too. Yeah. One arm is just completely broken. And uh, <laughs> so I was I was trying really hard uh, not to knock that arm out, which I did a good job of not knocking it out, knocking it out. But uh, that was hard, like just because he's holding a gun with his like little fingers. It was hard to not paint on the gun. And then when I went to paint the gun, it was hard to not paint on the fingers. Um, you know, my on your my, own fingers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my guitar playing days, uh, aren't kind to my hands. Um, you know, my hands hurt a lot. I got to exercise my, my fingers. So it was, it was hard to like hold on to something for that long mm-hmm. and the brush for that long. And you know, we only did it for an hour and a half, but, uh, I mean, it, it's definitely, definitely something you got to get used to. Yeah. What, what, uh, what didn't you like about it? Honestly, I don't, there's not much. I mean, I don't like that. I liked it so much. <laughs> oh, cause it's another thing to invest your money. Yeah. Into. So I've got, mm-hmm. I've got the most expensive hobbies. So Do I, pl- you? yes, I play music. Yeah. I draw. Drawing is not expensive though. Have you bought art supplies before? No, they're expensive. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I read comic books and I play board games. Comic books are, yeah. Right? I mean, so. I don't know. Like, I feel like you compare that to our friends who, uh, have been buying like four grand computers to play Cyberpunk twenty twenty seven or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're in we're in a better boat. Yeah, but I'm I'm very impulsive. So, oh, so like, you want to play? So that now too. I want to buy a bunch of miniatures and, and paint them. Mm. So, yeah. but but yeah. maybe you should just paint the ones you got. You only painted one of three, right? So yeah, the other ones are broken though. <laughs> well, th- there's something called model glue. I know this yeah, from my, yeah, yeah. my Gundam days, and you could glue the arm back on. It's not a big deal actually infuses the arm back on it's pretty sweet nice cool i mean yeah we, and, and we didn't really play much this week either i don't think right uh we played ascension actually on friday oh, and, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. and then uh i've been learning uh, uh vice counts of the west kingdom but i didn't play it and i played a load of excavation earth so we actually did play a bunch of stuff but i rather talk about paying managers <laughs> anyway yeah cool um yeah, so we are Matt and John from Friday Night Games, and I had an awesome time playing doing this challenge with you, Matt. So thank you for indulging my idea. Yeah, so make sure you look for pictures and a video coming out on this stuff too. Yeah, so you can find our video on our YouTube channel. Just search Friday Night Games on YouTube. You can check us out on Instagram, Friday Night Games underscore official. Uh, Twitch, Friday Night GMS. Twitter, Friday Night GMS. And our delicious website, FridayNight.Games. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Hey, everybody. It's Norm from Bridge City Board Gamers Community and the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, where we have opinions and conclusions 
formed on the basis of incomplete information. Please check out our episodes if you have a chance, but I'm going to take an opportunity here like I always do or always like to do, and uh, I'm going to read from our Facebook community, the thread, What You've Been Playing Wednesday, that we have on there. Uh, Let's start with Jason. Jason says, uh, Amy and I played in the year of the dragon, Rialto, Calico, Tiny Towns, Castles of Burgundy, and Sulkin this week. That is an awesome week. And as I said, in the year of the dragon, I love that game, but it's death by a thousand paper cuts for me. Uh, we, oh, well, Ryan didn't have an opportunity uh, to get an episode, but I'm going to tell, uh, tell you what he played. So Ryan, uh, he's been continuing his campaign of Sleeping Gods and playing a lot of Renature. Both those I so want to try. I love Ryan Lockett. He's got some awesome, some great art. Moving down the list, Lane. I'm speaking of Ryan Lockett. Lane's playing uh, Above and Below. Uh, he played Clank Legacy, Exit the, the Haunted Roller Coaster, Zombie Kids Evolution, and Seven Wonders. I do want to try Zombie Kids Evolution. That's a Scorpio Masque title. So yeah, and I think it's, I think it's on the top of the uh, the the uh, the kids list. I believe. That's conjecture. Hey, <laughs> that's such an easy way out. Ash, Seven Wonders Duel, and Quicks Deluxe. I love Quicks. I've never had an opportunity to play Seven Seven Wonders Duel. Um, Matthew spoke about it on this episode, so I'm going to try it out. I'm so going to try it out. Um, Marianne, I believe, if I'm looking at the picture from this distance, my my aged eyes show me that. I think it's automobile. Yeah, yes, I've heard I've heard cool things about that. I think that's the one where it's a bag builder, and and sometimes you you, uh, you the parts come out in tires, and so, yeah, curious, Mike. Almost finished Jaws of the Lion now. Needed a little break, so we started working on the first expansion for Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. And since I've been tracking plays again, Jaws of the Lion is now my third most played game at 19. I am jealous. Jaws of the Lion, for those who don't know, is a Gloomhaven intro, the prequel. Yeah. Uh, of course, it's Gloomhaven. It's, it's awesome. By nature, right? Um, Jeff, Cubitos, The Crew, and Honey Buzz played this week. Yeah, The Crew. That's that uh, trick-taking, cooperative trick-taking game. I so I have a copy. I just, uh, it's this isolation. It's getting to me. Uh, Hans, again, Terraforming Mars. You'd, you'd think he's had that Mars would be terraformed by now. Uh, Darwin's Journey. Marvel Splendor, Cloud Age, Oracle of Delphi, Rococo Deluxe. All smashing titles. Yes. I'm not going to make fun of Splendor. I'm not going to make fun of Splendor. Okay, moving on. Uh, Travis, Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah. Monopoly Deal. No comment. No, I'm joking. Uh, Codenames, Dixit, Imperial Struggle, Twilight Struggle. And tried out Concordia for the first time. Yay! He thought Concordia was decent. It was a three-player game. And I think I would definitely be more chaotic and fun 
with um, more people. Yes, it is. It is. And if you could scale it and have a tighter board, and that way you're on top of each other immediately. That, that might be why it, it didn't click with you, because I, I have this feeling you like to get in bumping elbows and, and pushing people with shoulders. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Next time. Smaller board or more people? Eli, Paladins of the West Kingdom and Tapestry. Ah, Paladins. That is such an awesome game. If you like your deep Euro worker placement stuff, because, man, you have to play it solo, because if you don't, it's going to take 10 hours with three people, because there's a lot of potential AP traps all over. David, Concept, Galaxy Trucker, New York Slice, Galaxy Trucker. That is a fun game. That's just, that's a crazy game. Uh, anything with a timer? Yeah, that just shoots my anxiety through the roof. It's so awesome. Tim, Azul, Warhammer Underworlds, Age of Sigmar, uh, Soulbound, London, Carcassonne, Dominion, Splendor. Yeah, awesome titles. I, I can't comment on the uh, the Warhammer uh, content because uh, that's that's not uh, that's off my uh, that's way off my my uh, comfort zone. Kimberly played My City. I hear so many people playing that one, and that wraps up that list. That was an awesome, awesome contrib- uh, contribution from uh, the community, and and again, I'm I'm waves of jealousy and and pride at the same time going on. So yeah. Uh, you know what? That wraps up the episode. That takes us to our close here. And I'm going to thank you so much for uh, taking the time to listen to all of these incredible content contributors from across Canada. And uh, like I always say, take care out there. Keep your stick on the ice, eh? This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the people of Cardboard Conjecture, where, you know, a double-double and a chocolate dip, that goes a long, long way. <laughs>